This is the RTE News at One with Brian Dobson. Good afternoon. The headlines this Wednesday lunchtime. Belfast Crown Court has sentenced a man to at least 29 years in prison for the deaths of four people in a house fire in County Fermanagh. The two young men who died in a road crash in County Limerick yesterday were students attending the Silesian Agricultural College. And the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said he doesn't have adequate answers why incessant problems around spinal surgery have not been fixed. The news in detail with Brian Jennings. A 33-year-old man who killed members of three generations of the same family has been told he'll spend 29 years in jail before being considered for release. Daniel Sebastian Allen had pleaded guilty to three murders and one count of manslaughter linked to the death of the family in Derry Lynn in County Fermanagh in February 2018. Our northern correspondent, Conor McCauley. The three generations of the Gossett family were found dead after a house fire at their isolated cottage near Derry Lynn, County Fermanagh in 2018. Those who died were Denise Gossett, 45, her son Roman, aged 16, a 19-year-old daughter, Sabrina, as well as Sabrina's 15-month-old daughter, Morgana Quinn. Denise Gossett's partner had been responsible. He'd murdered the children and pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of the mother. Alan had claimed there'd been a suicide pact and that he'd failed to take his own life, but the trial judge had major misgivings. He said he wasn't convinced Alan had told the truth and was left wondering whether he'd played a much more active role. Belfast Crown Court was told there was something dark and dangerous in Alan's makeup that had contributed to the deaths that day. The relationship with Denise Gossett had become strained. Alan had met another woman online and was talking about moving to America. The judge said Alan's culpability for what had happened was extremely high. He told him he'd serve at least 29 years of a life sentence before being considered for parole. Conor McCauley, RT News, Belfast. More details have emerged about the two young men who died in a car crash in County Limerick yesterday evening. They were second-year students attending Agricultural College in Palace Kenry. Our Midwest correspondent, Cathy Harrell. This latest road fatality happened at around 25 past 7 last night on the N69 at Bally English near Askeaton when a car with four occupants crashed into a wall. Two male passengers aged 19 and 20 were killed. They were from Cork and Kilkenny and their bodies have been taken to University Hospital Limerick for post-mortems due to be carried out tomorrow. Two other young men, the driver and another passenger, also aged in their late teens were injured and are being treated at UHL. It's been confirmed all four were second-year students at Silesian Agricultural College in nearby Palace Kenry and were also residents there. College Principal Derek O'Donoghue said students and staff were absolutely devastated and numb on hearing this news. All four were part of a very tight and closely knit student body, he said. Counselling services are now being provided. A full guard investigation is underway to establish the cause and the road has remained closed. They're appealing for any witnesses and for anyone who may have camera footage to contact them at Askeaton. Cathy Halloran, RTE News, Limerick. A government promise in 2017 that children would not have to wait more than four months for spinal surgeries has not been delivered, the Doyle has heard. The Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, told the House that there were now more children waiting for scoliosis surgery than when the pledge was made. Our political correspondent, Mio Lahan. 
Families have been badly let down and many children with life-limiting conditions have a very long wait for surgery, the Sinn Féin leader has said. Mary Lou MacDonald added that every treatment option must now be put on the table to end what she described as the scandal of children waiting for spinal surgery. Yesterday, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly ordered a review to see if €19 million allocated for spinal surgery is being appropriately used. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said problems around children's spinal surgery go back generations and he does not have adequate answers as to why it has not been fixed. But he pledged to do everything he could to resolve the problem, adding that he would work with the opposition in good faith to make this happen. More than 20 cease and desist letters have been issued to people suspected of selling illegal television streaming services known as dodgy boxes. Is the third wave of legal warnings that have been issued to people allegedly involved in providing illegal access to apps such as Apple TV, Disney+, Netflix, Paramount+, and Prime Video. They've been warned to stop all suspected illegal streaming or risk the consequences, including criminal prosecution. Now the weather. RTE Radio 1 Weather with Grant. For effective, efficient and balanced warmth throughout your home, choose Grant Uflex Underfloor Heating. Visit grant.ie. Outbreaks of rain and drizzle will continue to clear eastwards this afternoon. It'll continue to brighten up from the west with sunny spells and scattered showers. Highest temperatures will range from 10 to 13 degrees. And there's a warning that southwest to west winds will reach gale force eight at times today and this evening on coastal waters from Mizzenhead to Slinehead to Fairhead. Southwest to west winds will reach gale force eight at times tonight and tomorrow morning on coastal waters from Carnsore Point to Valencia to Bloody Foreland and on the Irish Sea. Brian. Thank you, Brian. Still to come this lunchtime, two agriculture students die in a single vehicle crash in Limerick. The principal of Salesian College tells us they were nearing the end of their course and had their whole lives ahead of them. We'll also hear from Road Safety Minister Jack Chambers. Also, what's fueling the continued rise in house prices here and where? EU sanctions enforcer David O'Sullivan on the latest round of measures against Russia. The disability campaigners against the care referendum, we find out why and going after illegal TV streaming services a warning to dodgy box suppliers The lotto jackpot is an estimated 2.5 million euro Play responsibly in store in app or at lottery.ie The National Lottery It could be you Live line with Joe Duffy How much were the women getting? The, the ladies were only getting two two bras, two prosthesis, um, or one prosthesis, and now they have cut it back to one bra, to the value of 60 euros. If it's any more than that, if they wanted something fancier, they have to pay the additional cost. But to give a lady one bra after losing her breast, it, it's ridiculous. And not only... It's a, the way I feel, Joe, it's a look good, feel good. And um, these ladies are very, very vulnerable. Live line with Joe Duffy. Weekdays from 1.45 on RTE Radio 1 and the RTE Radio app. 
Hello again, you're listening to the news at one. The principal of the Agricultural College where the victims of last night's fatal road crash in Limerick were residential students has spoken of a sense of shock and numbness among staff and students. The deceased men who were 19 and 20 and from Cork and Kilkenny were passengers in the car which crashed into a wall on the N69 at Bally, England near Askeaton. The driver and another passenger in the car have been treated in hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. All four were second-year students at the nearby Salesian Agricultural College in Paliskenry. Principal Derek O'Donoghue said the young men who died were nearing the end of their course and had their whole lives ahead of them. It was a massive shock. Um, it was lasting, I was expecting, at a quarter to nine um, yesterday evening to get a call um, from, from the guards um, looking for next of kin details. Um, we haven't experienced anything like this and it has been not alone a shock last night, but really sinking in today with staff and students and there's a sense of numbness in the college today. Uh, and obviously everybody's sympathies and thoughts are, are with, the, uh, with the families here. Uh, what about the, the supports that you're able to put in place for the students as they try to make some sort of sense of this? So the students are registered students of TUS and the TUS Student Support Service has been on campus here this morning at 11 o'clock and has met both students and staff will continue to be here for the day and will continue to provide um, support and service in the days um, and weeks ahead. So I suppose at the minute, just it's to give a chance to those students just to grieve because they're a very, very close community of students, um, particularly have, haven't been residential. And I'm, I'm sure everyone's thoughts also with the, the two students who are, who are in hospital, who are also in the car. Yeah, and we still look our 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 best wishes to those, and uh, they make make a full recovery. Um, and in particular to the two students that have um, deceased, um, our condolences to their family, to to their friends, and to the wider um, communities in in their relevant counties. It's just so shocking, isn't it? Two two young men um, in college with, with their with their lives ahead of them, and f- full of ambition and hopes and plans. Yes, and both. Are all all four students I said have been on, on the same course? They have just come back after eight months placement, and they are on the final stretch of their two year course. And great career prospects ahead of them, great life ahead of them. And unfortunately for two, cut very short last night. Derek O'Donoghue, principal of the Salesian Agricultural College in County Limerick. Well, according to the Gardaí, updating their information at nine o'clock this morning, there have been 32 people killed on Irish roads since the 1st of January. With us in studio as the Minister of State of the Department of Transport with responsibility for road safety, Jack Chambers. Very good afternoon to you, Minister. Good afternoon, Brian. And welcome to the studio. Just such a tragic and senseless loss of life. I was, look, it was absolutely devastating uh, for the for uh, people in Limerick. Two another two young lives lost and and two people uh, injured. And I just want to express my sympathies and condolences to the the community in Salishan Agricultural College and the wider community in Limerick. I know um, how much grief this will bring to everyone involved and to their families and so much ahead of them in their own lives. And uh, uh, I was devastated to hear it. And it, it's on the back of I know a very difficult situation with lives lost in Carlow and again 
32 lives lost on our roads so far this year um, and it's extremely concerning that the trend that we saw in 2023 has persisted and it's in particular the number of young people um, who are seeing losing their lives on our roads and um, my, my condolences to everyone involved in, in the recent uh, uh, tragic uh, events in the last 24 hours. It's been a bad start to the year, particularly in the context where towards the end of last year there were a number of tragic incidents and a, and a big focus on trying to make motorists and drivers aware of the need for safety on the roads and we're not making any judgments about what happened yeah. in Limerick last night obviously. Yeah and I just want to be clear when talking more generally about road safety that I'm absolutely not referencing uh, any specific instances that have happened in recent weeks but we, we have seen um, the trend continue in 2024 uh, and that uh, is 32 lives lost this year which is up two on this time uh, last year uh, and we are taking a very evidence based approach on trying to re- to address the, the worrying trend so that's why uh, last week I brought through the road traffic legislation went through second stage in the Dáil which contains a number of important reforms which will make a difference, they will take a period to progress through in the context of the review of, of speed limits um, addressing recklessness and multiple penalty points for multiple offences, mandatory uh, drug testing at the scene of a collision and also reforming o- other anomalies so that road traffic legislation is due to go before the Oireachtas Transport Committee next week and we hope to advance that through the Oireachtas uh, quickly so that we can underpin uh, reforms this year that, that I think will make a difference and is very, they're very much mm-hmm. focused on the lifesaver offences. Separately we're working with the Road Safety Authority on strengthening the campaigns and the wider educational initiatives that we're seeing uh, and we sanctioned additional spending for the Road Safety Authority towards the end of last year so that there is increased awareness campaigns and obviously the other third and really important pillar is, is an absolute focus on enforcement uh, and that's something I'm uh, very focused on as Minister because to underpin new reforms or to make sure our existing legislation works we need to see improvement uh, from roads policing as well. I want to come to roads policing in a moment but what about those measures which you're, which as you you've explained are, are making their way through the Eructus. When might we see some of those actually taking effect? Let's take for example the, the speed limits issue yep. because actually it's local authorities that decide ultimately yep. isn't it on, on a yeah, speed so, limit on a given so road. Some of, the, some of the measures for example the, um, the, the reform of penalty points we can progress quickly once the legislation is enacted so I hope to have that enacted in April um, and uh, we can commence some, some of that similarly with mandatory uh, drug t- testing at the scene of a collision. So from April, people who, 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 are, are, who commit multiple offences will be liable to multiple Once the legislation is enacted, that can be commenced quickly through regulations. The speed limits... Uh, reforms will require, so we'll issue guidance once the legislation is enacted to local authorities. We have a work we have a group between the Department of Transport and local authorities on ensuring we synchronise this nationally. So we'll issue guidance to local authorities when the legislation is enacted and we hope to see a lot of the changes on speed limits happen before the end of the year. It will take a number of months to implement in the context of having to do speed limit reviews um, and ensure that local authorities make those decisions. So that will take a number of months but we are truncating the timeline for what would have happened historically in the context of other speed limit reviews. What about this key question of roads policing enforcement of existing and uh, new regulations? We have fewer Gardaí now involved in roads policing than we had this time last year. And that, that is a serious issue and um, I know that is a concern of a lot of the victims groups and it's a concern for me as the Minister with responsibility for road safety. Um, I've communicated that directly to the Commissioner. We need to see uh, an improved allocation 
and numbers to the roads policing units. Obviously, the commissioner has direct operational responsibility for how he deploys uh, numbers in the force. Um, but we need to see a vigorous, robust and visible policing to underpin our existing legislative framework and to ensure that the reforms that we take uh, have, have effect. Uh, and we have a very close uh, uh, relationship with the Garda Siakana and, and the Ministerial mm-hmm. Road Safety Committee and excellent work by Assistant Commissioner Hillman. Um, but I, I, I think to ensure that there's that, uh, that we deter dangerous behaviour, that we break the culture of recklessness, uh, there will be need, there, there is a need to ensure that the, we, 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 address the attrition we've seen in roads policing units uh, in recent months and years and, and that's something that uh, we've, we're engaging on on a, on a continuous basis. A number of the re- recent deaths have arisen in situations where it's been a single vehicle accident, um, very often involving younger drivers mm-hmm. um, and, and that puts a focus on driver training because obviously by mm-hmm. definition younger drivers are, are less experienced. Mm-hmm. What more needs should, can be done so, to provide better training for young so we drivers? So we are our, um, the, the driver testing curriculum when I came into the department um, I was briefed on this it's, the driver testing curriculum hasn't been properly modernised or updated for 30 years and that's a piece of work we've commenced so that uh, we, we we make sure that the driver training and education people receive when they're getting their driving test uh, is, is up to standard and up to date and at, at best international practice so that reform work is happening that will take a bit of time to change and implement um, but separately it's, it's also pointing out the the, the worrying trend we're seeing. If you look in 2023, for example, we know that 20, of all the fatal collisions that occurred, 25% related to speed, 27% related to dangerous driving. Uh, and people that are breaking the law, showing total disregard for themselves and others, uh, need to be, uh, need, there, need, there needs to be an absolute focus on, on, on breaking that behaviour and addressing the, 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 the trends that we've seen there. But we heard only this week, and it was a, a question to you and the doll, that only five, fewer than 5% of people who are told to hand over their, their learner permit following a conviction for traffic offence are, are actually doing that. Well, there's, a, it's, there's an obligation, first of all, with Angarda Shikana to, to hand over the learner permit but just to rem- remind everybody that if you're disqualified uh, from driving the the actual learner permit has uh, obviously the, uh, or, or the driving or, or the licence mm. uh, you the disqualification holds and if people are found to be driving when they're disqualified they face a, a significant penal sentence and uh, and that's a key part of the enforcement activity by Angarda Shikana. Jack Chambers Minister of State thanks Thank for you. talking to us on the programme A man who admitted killing four members of the same family in a house fire in Derry Lynn in County Fermanagh has been sentenced to Belfast Crown Court to 29 years in prison. Daniel Sebastian Allen previously pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of his partner Denise Gossett and the murder of her 19-year-old daughter Sabrina Gossett, her 16-year-old son Roman Gossett and Sabrina Gossett's 15-month-old daughter Morrigan Quinn in February 2018. Mr Justice O'Hara said Allen will serve 29 years in prison before he can be considered for release. Speaking afterwards, Detective Inspector Hazel Miller said Alan had been held accountable for his actions. This was a horrific and a cruel incident. It's hard to even begin to imagine the fear, the pain and the sheer suffering. With the use of the forensic evidence and forensic science, along with our colleagues in the Public Prosecution Service, Daniel Allen was today made amenable for the horrific incident made accountable for his actions. I am deeply mindful, however, that this is an event which will never, ever be forgotten. 
We have seen destruction and a loss beyond words. Detective Inspector Hazel Miller, let's talk now to our Northern correspondent, Conor McCauley, who was in court. And this is just a devastating incident, uh, Conor. What happened on that day in February 2018? Yes, Brian, a very distressing story uh, when it's all set out in court as it was this morning. I mean, basically three generations of the Gossett family were found dead after a house fire near Derry Lynn back in February of 2018. Now, you've set it out already, but they were uh, Denise Gossett, 45, her son Roman, who was 16, a daughter, Sabrina, who was 19 and Sabrina's 15 month old daughter Morgana Quinn. The person responsible for all the deaths was Denise Gossett's partner, 33 year old Daniel Sebastian Allen. Now he claimed in the course of his trial that there'd been a suicide pact uh, that in fact 19 year old Sabrina had poisoned the other children and that he had then strangled her. That he then got about setting the house alight and intended to join Denise Gossett who had been handcuffed to a bed. He was going to go back into her room, handcuff himself to her and that they would all die together uh, in the fire. But he he said he blacked out and he did not take his own life as intended. Now it was pretty clear when listening to the sentencing uh, judge's remarks this morning that the, the judge, Mr Justice O'Hara, had major misgivings let's put it like that, about that mm-hmm. account. He, he basically said Alan, he, he didn't feel had told the truth and he was left wondering whether he in fact had taken a much more uh, active role in all the deaths. We heard, for example, that the relationship was strained, uh, that Alan had met another woman online. He was talking about moving uh, to America now. As, as you said, Alan had pleaded guilty to the, the three murders of the children and the manslaughter of their mother and grandmother, his partner. And the judge ha- had previously sentenced him to a life sentence, but today was the tariff hearing to decide how long he would serve uh, before he could be considered for parole. And the judge said he had a very high level of culpability for what had happened in respect of uh, all the events in the house that night. There was a dark and dangerous element to his character which had fed into that and he said it would be 29 years uh, before being considered for parole that means it'll be mm-hmm. 2047 before his case can be considered. We heard the reaction of the PSNI there Connor. has there been response from the family? Uh, well, we, there was there is an elder daughter, uh, Samantha Gossett. She was actually listening. So we there, there's a, a facility whereby people can listen, um, appropriate people can listen via video link uh, into court hearings in Northern Ireland. Uh, Samantha Gossett, we could see, uh, was on an audio only link, uh, listening to the judge's sentencing remarks. Uh, and afterwards, Detective Inspector Hazel Miller, who you heard from a little earlier there, uh, did read out a statement on Samantha's behalf. Their four lives were taken in a fire which was started deliberately and it breaks my heart to think on what happened and to think on how they died. I miss them so much and to be honest it's very difficult to convey such a loss in words. My remaining family and I are incredibly thankful for everyone and everything the police have done and those who helped to bring this to court. It is hard to move on with our lives and my life will never, ever be the same again. But the support of everyone, especially my partner and my friends, has truly meant such a lot. Detective Inspector Hazel Miller reading there the statement by Samantha Gossett ending that report from Conor McCauley. A former All-Ireland GAA winner has been arrested and questioned about an alleged attack on a child last year. The 12-year-old boy was badly injured in the incident. Our crime correspondent Paul Reynolds has more on this. What can you tell us, Paul? 
Well, Brian, the incident which led to the arrest of the well-known GEA star and All-Ireland hurler is alleged to have taken place on Thursday the 5th of October last year. Now, a group of children and teens went onto a vacant property linked to the man. I understand there were cameras on the property. The man became aware of what what might also be termed uh, a break-in at the property, uh, or at least he suspected a break-in at the property, uh, and he went there armed with some type of implement or carrying some type of implement. When the children saw the man coming, they ran. Some of them got away, but a 12-year-old boy was accosted and allegedly attacked and beaten. Now the child sustained serious injuries including to his face and upper body and suffered at least one broken bone. He was taken to University Hospital in Limerick where he was admitted, detained and treated. The boy's parents were made aware of what happened and they reported the matter to the Gardaí. Paul Reynolds, crime correspondent, thank you very much for that. Residential property prices are now nearly 4% higher than at their pre-crash peak in 2007. Official figures today say that last year house and apartment prices rose nationally by 4.4%. Prices in Dublin were up 2.7%. Outside Dublin, the increase was 5.7%. According to the Residential Property Price Index, published today by the Central Statistics Office, despite recovering to a 15-year high in 2023, the supply of new housing it seems is still not growing fast enough to meet demand. Let's talk to Lorcan Sir from TU Dublin, currently visiting Professor of Housing at the University of Galway. Lorcan, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you've been looking over these statistics from the, the CSO for us. What are they telling us about what's going on in the, the housing market? Well, I think, Brian, that the first thing it tells you is that supply on its own is not going to moderate or bring down uh, house prices. Um, there are other factors that go into uh, house price rises. And, and what people forget is that things like interest rates, for example, have a huge uh, impact on, on uh, house prices. So a 1% decrease in interest rates, say, from the ECB that gets passed on to mortgage holders here could lead to a 3% uh, rise in house prices. Wages, a 1% uh, rise in wages will lead to a 2% rise in house prices. And similarly, Similarly, population growth, also a 1% rise in, in population growth leads to a 2% rise in house prices. And that's research from the, the Bank of England and the, and the Central Bank uh, here. So supply is only one factor. And in terms of supply, Brian, one of the issues that we've had uh, over the last few years is that although supply is up over 100% since 2017, when Simon Coveney was minister, the type of supply... Uh, has changed rapidly. So what we're seeing over the last uh, six years or so is that the amount of new housing that comes to the market, so in other words, houses, new brand new houses that are, you know, appear in your local mm-hmm. estate agent window for sale has stayed at between seven and 8,000 every year. So as, as supply goes up, the, the proportion of new housing coming to the, the market is going down. In 2022, it was about 28%. I suspect it was less last year, so mm-hmm. that doesn't help either. The, the figures today give geographic breakdown that the lowest median price for a home, 165,000 in Leitrim. The highest is in Dunleary Rathdown, uh, north of 622,000 euro. But Dunleary Rathdown is one of the parts of the country which has had the, the slowest growth last year. There's the big figures in terms of 7 8% property price growth are in, I suppose, what might be called some of the commuter counties. Yeah, this is it. Uh, uh, and this is a reflection of the type of housing that we're building. So we saw last year, for example, in Dublin City, about 71% of, of all the new housing there was apartments. And they, of course, are only for rent. And to be perfectly frank to you, I don't think there's a market there for them for most people because the rents are quite high. So what you find then, and you can track this in stamp duty data, is that people, and particularly first-time buyers, but also movers, are increasingly moving farther out into what you call the, the commuter belt. So Louth, uh, Mead, Wicklow and Kildare, but also further out now uh, in places like Leitrim and Longford to buy houses 
because they don't want to rent. And the, the impact of the, you know, people working three days a week from home, for example, also makes that more feasible because you only have to, or say two days a week from home, you only have to do the commute maybe on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And people are willing to suck that up in order to have a house that they can own and that is affordable. Mm. And what about the, the type of people who are making house purchases? 50,000 dwelling purchases by household, as they, as they term it, at market prices were filed with revenue, according to these statistics. Um, a majority of them, over half, were, were former owner-occupiers. So I presume people trading up or trading down. Yeah, um, so those movers are, um, are generally, like people think that they're maybe older people who are have a large house and maybe moving to a small but don't forget that an awful lot of people bought apartments when they were maybe in their late 20s or 30s and are now moving because their, their family situation has changed and they have children and that and they need a, a larger property. So movers can quite also be young people. And that number itself of 50,000 is quite low. In, in a kind of a functioning market, uh, Brian, you'd expect to see that number in around 80,000. So we're not exactly transacting the same amount of properties either. And, you know, a lot of this is down to affordability uh, and about down to people, you know, having, not having the money really um, to, to buy and having to save and then trying to save when you're renting at the same time. Professor Lorcan, sir, thanks very much indeed for that. EU ambassadors have agreed in principle on a further package of sanctions against Russia over the war in Ukraine. This 13th round of sanctions expected to be formally approved on Friday, the second anniversary of the Russian invasion. We've been talking to the EU sanctions envoy, Ireland's David O'Sullivan, about these new sanctions and what they're designed to achieve. This package focuses on on further limiting Russia's access to military technology, such as for drones and on listing additional companies and individuals who were involved in the war effort. So uh, it is intended to really emphasize uh, our determination to stop Russia from acquiring sensitive Western technology for its military. There will be an unprecedented number of 194 uh, listings of companies or individuals who are now sanctioned or unable to do business with the EU. Uh, and this brings us to nearly 2,000 listings in, in support of Ukraine. So this is the, the primary fo- focus of, of this package, which of course, comes on the back of the the 12 other packages where we have uh, sanctioned uh, uh, both financial sanctions and, of course, uh, remarkable trade sanctions covering 60% of what we previously imported from uh, Russia and 55% of what we we previously exported. And one other aspect, it's reported, individuals have been targeted for sanction who are involved in the illegal abduction of Ukrainian children uh, to to Russian-controlled territory. This is, uh, their listings include 15 individuals and two entities who have been involved in, in this obviously horrendous and, and horrific deportation and military indoctrination of, of Ukrainian children, including in, in Belarus, which is obviously on a human level just hard to hard to imagine how people could do that. It is, David Sullivan, the 13th round now of, of sanctions, many of those, of course, um, in the la- over the last number of years since the, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. But how effective is all of this been? In his recent interview with Tucker Carlson, President Putin described, described these measures as ineffective? Well, he would, wouldn't he? I mean, uh, I, I think the, the, the sanctions are having a, a deep and powerful impact on the Russian economy. We just mentioned the access to technology, which Russia is now struggling to, to acquire, uh, forced to turn to Iran or North Korea uh, for, for assistance. We, the, the, the revenue of the Russian government is, is heavily affected both by the freezing of the assets. We estimate there's about 400 billion euros uh, no longer available to, to Russia 
for for funding this war that than would have been the case. And of course, even though there are still some oil and gas exports and and there is revenue coming in, uh, what used to be a very healthy government surplus in in Russia is now turned into uh, a deficit. Russia is now running as a war economy. They're basically thirty percent of uh, expenditure is going on the military, some six to eight percent of GDP, and basically, Mr. Putin is cannibalizing his his country's economy, taking money from education, social welfare, uh, research, and putting it into the the military machine. He can do this for a certain amount of time, but at a certain moment, uh, it becomes unsustainable. And on the labor market, some of the brightest and best Russians have left, and nearly a million talented young people. And at the lower end of the scale, on the unskilled uh, side, uh, the mobilization has sucked uh, unskilled labor out of agriculture and industry. So there's huge labor market shortages. So the, 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 the prognosis for the Russian economy is not good. But, but as you say, there are those countries he can turn to, Iran and North Korea, and also China. Trade between Russia and China last year was at a record high. Well, yes, and and Russia is becoming increasingly dependent upon China, uh, who drives very hard bargains. Uh, and of course, China can supply uh, a certain amount of, of products which were previously bought from the West, but they cannot provide the, the very sensitive Western technology on which the Russian military depended. Part of your job on behalf of the EU um, uh, is to travel uh, around uh, the globe, visiting countries uh, and trying to persuade leaders of governments to, to buy into these sanctions. How- how challenging a task is that? Well, I mean, we, we respect the decision of countries who have chosen not to align with our sanctions. We, we acknowledge that these sanctions are not UN sanctioned. They're not UN approved because, of course, Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council and was never going to uh, agree to sanctioning itself. So they are, in that sense, unilateral, even if they are imposed by a, an impressive international coalition of the G7 plus Australia, uh, New Zealand, South Korea and other allies. But uh, we may mainly argue that countries don't want to be a platform for circumvention, which is bad for the reputation of their industry. And more importantly, most of them do not want to be party to sending to Russia uh, sensitive technologies and pieces of equipment which could be used in, in the war machine. And many of the countries I've been to have actually stopped uh, that, that export to Russia. EU sanctions envoy David O'Sullivan speaking to us earlier. A group of disability rights campaigners has come together to urge a no vote in the forthcoming care referendum on the 8th of March. Equality, not care, say the proposed amendment to the Constitution perpetuates the notion of people with impairments being burdens on families rather than rights holders on an equal basis with everyone else. Well, we can talk to Dr. Margaret Kennedy, who is part of the Equality, Not Care group and was at this morning's news conference. Dr. Kennedy, very good afternoon to you. Welcome to the News at One. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Now, your campaign has described this uh, proposed constitutional change as ageist and ableist. How so? Well, because it's targeting... Well, actually, it's not. What it's leaving us out, so we're not equal citizens. They're talking about the carers who are families and mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. They are talking uh, about women, and they're not talking about disabled people as equals. We object to being things being decided for us. This has already been decided that our carers are going to be our family and family members. Many of us don't want to be with our families. We want to be independent living. I'm in a wheelchair. I have a rare neuromuscular disease, which is degenerative. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be cared for by my family necessarily. 
I wanted to be independent with my own support network. So and the- what we're saying is that it's not providing us with options, choices, and our own idea about how we want to live our lives. Right. So it doesn't meet the kind of ambitions you, you would have um, for how the law should uh, recognise and acknowledge you, but do, do, does it make a, a, a bad situation worse, or is it simply making no difference at all? I think it's making a bad situation worse. I do not see any difference in between Endeavour and Strive. They say they're going to support people uh, uh, who are in the caring role, but in actual fact, they've never done that. We have mothers, fathers and everybody on their knees, on their knees with stress and begging and and groveling for the, the crumbs from the table. So we don't see that that's going to change. We don't see that our lives are going to change. In fact, it's going to enshrine in the Constitution, no less, that actually we won't be able to get state support. Or the only people who can support us are our families and, um, you know, whatever the family permutations are now going to be. But... the this minute, is wrong. We are equal citizens. Minister Roderick O'Gorman has been addressing this. He was speaking, I think it was in, in Galway last night, making the point that this proposed amendment is focused on carers, not, not on, on people with disabilities, the people they might care for, and also admitting that there may be a need for future constitutional change for those with disabilities. Well, there has to be a lot of change for people with disabilities. Right now, our lives are quite difficult and it's quite untenable sometimes. We're still having to beg for wheelchairs and physiotherapy and all sorts of things. The UN Convention on the Rights of Disabled People, although that part of it has been ratified, the optional protocol of the OP has not, which means we actually can't use it. So this just speaks of the uh, political agenda to keep us at the bottom of the... Uh, ladder. The government know that the families are taking a lot of money. Uh, they're, they're saving a lot of money from state services. Uh, and we're saying that the family shouldn't shoulder that burden. Um, and I don't use the burden about the people they're looking after. The burden is the money. And the government want to find a way of cheaply looking after us. Well, I'm sorry, but we're disabled people and we have rights in our in our own right and we always say nothing about us without us. And this mm-hmm. amendment, this new article, is saying something about us and we have not had a voice, we have not had a, a view on this at all. Very good. Dr. Margaret Kennedy from Equality Not Care, thank you very much for talking to us. Back with more after this short break. It begins with a moment, the business idea that keeps you up at night. So you start researching, developing, prototyping. You nail that big pitch. You get your first customer and dream of thousands more. An entrepreneur's journey is made up of many moments like these. And Enterprise Ireland is here for all of them. Whether you're looking to raise funding, get expert advice or expand internationally. For every startup moment, we're there. For more information, visit enterprise-ireland.com forward slash startup. Enterprise Ireland, with you on your startup journey. RTE Radio 1. Shania Twain. Let's go, girls. Live in Dublin. Shania Twain. That don't impress me much. Performing one incredible show. Malahide Castle on Friday, June 28th. Tickets available now from Ticketmaster.ie. Subject to license. Let's go. Tickets available now. 
Music updates on RTE Radio 1. When watching from the heights, each moment seems small. What a start by Jack Crowley. It's in these moments. He's in for the try. It's the making of us all. Let's go for match. Right for the corner. Oh, for the try. In the Six Nations Championships, moments are made. He's Absolutely torn apart, this French team. Ireland versus Wales, Saturday at 2.15 on RTE 2, RTE Player and RTE Radio 1. Hello again, you're listening to the news at one. More than 20 cease and desist letters have been issued to people suspected of selling illegal TV streaming services known as dodgy boxes. In the third in a series of legal warnings delivered in person by post and by email to people across the country involved in providing illegal access to premium TV content, sometimes known as IPTV, they are warned that illegal streaming activity risks facing the consequences, including criminal prosecution. Let's talk now to Eddie Leviton, Chief Operating Officer with the Federation Against Copyright Theft. Um, Eddie Leviton, first of all, how widespread is the use of, of these dodgy subscription services, these dodgy boxes or dodgy sticks? Well, I, th- I think it's clear that uh, these are very widespread. Um, we know from research that a large number of people are um, susceptible to um, paying criminals to uh, use these devices to access illegal streaming services across Ireland. You've issued previous series of these cease and desist uh, notifications. What's been the effect? Have they had the desired effect? Yes, we we see a very good uh, uh, effect from from these. Um, Over three quarters of the people who've been contacted in the past two waves that we did last year have stopped their activity. And our objective really is to stop people getting involved in this um, and risking prosecution. So to give them a warning that if they carry on, they could face prosecution. And also to warn consumers about the risks of using illegal streaming services, which can carry malware and risk uh, identity fraud and putting their families um, and their personal identity at risk. So once a, a supplier ceases, ceases to provide the service, then the, the, uh, the, the subscriber, if you like, will be cut off. Yes, in a lot of cases, um, we're asking people to stop the subscriptions as well. So, uh, yes, the, the, the supply is, is then cut back as well. And people may find they've paid money for a service that doesn't exist. And, of course, they're paying money to criminals anyway. So they're, they're, they're putting them, you know, they're putting themselves at risk by doing that. All right. Eddie Leverton from the uh, Federation Against Copyright Theft. Thanks very much for talking to us. Sports on RTE Radio 1. And it's very good afternoon to Greg Allen, Greg. Afternoon, Brian. Confirmation is expected this afternoon that Dan McFarland will step down as Ulster rugby coach after almost six seasons at the helm of the province. Ulster are only lying in eighth place in the URC table and recent results, especially defeats to Harlequins in Europe and Ospreys in the URC, had piled pressure on him. His permanent successor is likely to be left until the end of the season. But that would appear to open the way for an interim coach. And there has even been speculation that Ireland's under-20s coach, Richie Murphy, is the favourite candidate to to take charge in an interim capacity in Ulster. Bayern Munich have announced that head coach Thomas Tuchel will leave the club at the end of the season by mutual consent, which could have a knock-on effect of opening the door for the Bayern assistant coach, Anthony Barry, to become a candidate for the vacant managerial position with the Republic of Ireland. Tuchel took over at Bayern just 11 months ago. He guided them to the Bundesliga title, but he's come under some scrutiny recently following three losses in a row in all competitions, and that's contributed to Bayern now trailing the Bundesliga leaders Bayer Leverkusen 
Leverkusen by a matter of eight points. The idea of an interim manager for the Republic of Ireland remains on the table and Barry, who worked under Stephen Kenny before leaving for a similar role with Belgium and then Munich, could really now appeal to the FAI. Liverpool can go four points clear in the Premier League tonight if they win at home to Luton. That has a 7.30 kick-off. In the Champions League, two round of 16 matches tonight, one of which sees Arsenal away to FC Porto in the first leg and Napoli are home to Barcelona in the other match tonight. Both have 8pm kickoffs. Thank you indeed for that, Greg. Our team today, Liam Mullen was on sound, the broadcast coordinator, Anne-Marie Donlan.